Section 3. The Synoptic Text Quote, The subject matter specialist became something of anathema within professional curriculum circles. End quote. Caswell and Campbell's Curriculum Development Of significance to the curriculum field during the 1930s was the appearance of the so-called synoptic text, examples of which we examine in Chapter 1. Hollis L. Caswell and Doak S. Campbell's curriculum development established a tradition of synoptic texts in the American curriculum field. Caswell pioneered statewide programs of curriculum development in the 1930s. These comprehensive introductory texts would dominate the field for decades to come, up to the present time. Recently, these texts have failed to keep abreast of the rapidly changing field, a problem we lamented in Chapter 1. Hollis Caswell founded a genre of scholarship in the curriculum field. What was he like as a teacher? Arthur Fauché, a former student of Caswell, recalls, quote, It was the summer of 1945 at Teachers College, Columbia University. I looked through an open door into a spacious office. Seated at an orderly desk at the far end was the man I had come from California to see, Hollis L. Caswell. He was reputed to be the leader in curriculum development in the country. I wanted to study with him, to become acquainted with his approach to curriculum problems. I was not to be disappointed. In the course of time, he became my advisor, mentor, colleague, and friend. Education, he obviously believed, had to deal not only with cognitive development, but also with the solving of social problems and the building of civic morality. His extensive work on state and city curriculum programs during the heart of the Great Depression of the 30s had no doubt deepened these convictions of his. The differences between Caswell and the others of that time, such as people as George Counts and Harold Rugg, was that Caswell got into the field and made things happen. Referring to a course in 1946 taught by Caswell, assisted by William Alexander, Fauché tells us that Caswell insisted the individual school is the unit for curriculum development. Caswell's emphasis on action led him to emphasize cooperative action research, which places the teacher at the center of school experimentation and offers a consultant to help the teacher to design the research and evaluate the consequence. End quote. Despite these progressive features of Caswell's view of curriculum development, he maintained some distance from the movement itself. He had not, for instance, been a member of the Progressive Education Association. In addition to Fauché, William Alexander, Marcella Lawler, Alice Meal, A. Harry Passau, and Galen Saylor were all students of Caswell. His influence over important curriculum scholars was wide. Fauché tells us that Florence Stratmeyer's Developing a Curriculum for Modern Living was the result of pressure from Caswell for two years. The notion of building a curriculum in light of persistent life situations, which became the theme of that book, can be found in a 1929 publication of Caswell's. However, no acknowledgement of Caswell's contribution appears in the Stratmeyer book. In addition to intellectual influence, there was institutional influence. Caswell formed the first Department of Curriculum and Teaching in 1938 at Teachers College, Columbia University. Fauché credits Caswell with inventing the field of curriculum development with his innovative state and city curriculum development programs. Also among Caswell's achievement was the establishment of the Horace Mann Lincoln Institute of School Experimentation, an institution we noted in Chapter 2. Upon Caswell's death in 1988, curriculum historian Barry Franklin wrote an obituary. Noting that Caswell had been a doctoral student of George Strayer at Teachers College, Franklin reminded us that Caswell participated in and championed the school survey, a favorite efficiency-oriented practice of early school administrators. 
Despite this enthusiasm in his work with Strayer, Caswell did not exactly embrace the efficiency tradition. Caswell judged scientific curriculum makers as excessively preoccupied with the use of predetermined objectives. He believed it was necessary to address the educational and social problems associated with the transformation of the United States into a modern, urban, and industrial society. Unlike Bobbitt, Charters, and other social efficiency advocates who viewed the emergence of corporate capitalism as a sign of progress, Caswell was less optimistic. For example, the courses of study that resulted from the Virginia State Curriculum Revision of the early 1930s, for which he served as a consultant, appeared, at least from the stated objectives, to acknowledge the exploitative and inegalitarian features of industrial capitalism. Central to Caswell's thinking was his view that Americans were living in an increasingly interdependent world. Quote, if a more democratic world was to really emerge from this United Nations war, he wrote in a 1943 article, then it was critical that the ideas of imperialism and racial differentiation which fueled authoritarianism be eradicated from our ways of thinking. End quote. As Franklin's commentary makes clear, Caswell was a far-sighted curriculum scholar. Theoretical eclecticism established. The Caswell and Campbell textbook represented a movement toward theoretical coalescence, a negative aspect of which was the establishment of eclecticism in curriculum development. Caswell and Campbell found a field in disarray and attempted to conceptualize a coherent view of curriculum development. Quite aware of the limited appeal of social reconstructionism for school administrators, Caswell and Campbell de-emphasized this segment of the field in their text, making the textbook more palpable for school administrators. The text leaned toward Dewey and progressive thought, however emphasizing the importance of attending to pupils' interests and experience in curriculum construction. The social emphasis in the text was limited to a call for schools to cooperate with other social institutions in rediscovering and redefining democratic ideals. Caswell and Campbell's curriculum development included units on the challenge of contemporary life to the school, the social responsibility of the school, significant influences on curriculum development, Concepts of the Curriculum, Principles Basic to Curriculum Development, Aims of Education, Scope of the Curriculum, Pupil Purposes, the Unit Basis of Organizing Instruction, the Course of Study, and Administrative Considerations in Curriculum Development. End quote. Caswell and Campbell composed a conceptual framework and fit into it coherently almost everything in curriculum making that had come before. A review of the book, which appeared in the Curriculum Journal in 1935, worried that such a synoptic text lacked a point of view, a concern which has persisted to the present time. Segwell has defended the synoptic text, arguing that they should not be polemical, not represent a particular perspective. Caswell and Campbell produced a second synoptic text, a collection of articles entitled Readings and Curriculum Development. Collections of articles or essays have also persisted as a common form of publication in the field. Crisis and Transformation the currents of curriculum scholarship moved tumultuously during the 1930s. Understandable for a field with such close ties to popular culture, a culture in social, economic, and political crisis during that decade. Within curriculum, the social efficiency movement declined in importance, but the decline would be for a short term. Progressivism moved center stage, but floundered over its own internal divisions between the social reconstructionists and the child-centered advocates. The social reconstructionists took a strong position morally and theoretically, but they produced resistance to social reform in the field's constituencies, school teachers and school administrators. 
The consequence of this crisis was eclecticism, resurfacing after its appearance in the 26th NSSE yearbook and in Caswell and Campbell's Curriculum Development and Readings and Curriculum Development. Synoptic eclectic books created a centrist position which functioned to consolidate a field threatening to break into unyielding orientations and interest groups. The price of this fragile coalition was theoretical eclecticism and blandness which lay the ground, as would become clear, for a triumphant return of social efficiency and scientism a decade later. A second generation accepts theoretical eclecticism. Another instance of the theoretical eclecticism in the field at this time is the establishment early in 1936 of the Joint Committee on Curriculum, a small federation of curriculum specialists interested in summarizing the state-of-the-art in curriculum development. This group represented what Clybard has characterized as, quote, a second generation of curriculum specialists, end quote, among whom were university leaders such as Henry Harrop of George Peabody College, now a part of Vanderbilt University, Laura Zerbs of Ohio State University, and school leaders such as Edith Bader of the Ann Harbor, Michigan Public Schools, and Prudence Cutright, the assistant superintendent of the Minneapolis Public Schools. From their association came the changing curriculum, in which they advocated a view of the curriculum as functional, that is, curriculum designed around the needs and interests of children or around categories of life activities. Thus, the Joint Committee accepted an eclectic model of curriculum, combining aspects of both social efficiency and progressivism. However, they did not accept curriculum organization around the school subject and academic disciplines. Indeed, Clybard reports that, quote, the subject matter specialist became something of anathema within professional curriculum circles, end quote. That would, in 25 years' time, change rather completely.